Hello, and Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soccer from the Zoo. This is Kyle Pinnell, and I'll be joined by uh, Columbia, Missourian MVP, basketball MVP, uh, Brian Napier. And we have a good show for you today. Michael's gone this weekend, so Brian volunteered to step up, and we're going to talk some soccer from England to America. We're going to get some USL content in there for you today. Uh, we're looking forward to this show, and... As I kind of get settled here, Briar, do you want to kind of introduce yourself? And yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Briar Napier. I am currently a senior at Mizzou. Uh, right now, I am a TA and assistant editor for the Columbia Missourian. Uh, this is a after last year, I spent it uh, being a reporter there. And so uh, Kyle brought me on the show because, like him and like Michael, I'm a big soccer guy myself. I've covered it. I've been a fan for probably the last decade or so now um, of the sport. And so I heard about this podcast, and then I met Kyle uh, last week as we had a Maneater versus Missourian uh, basketball game. And then so we just had a nice little conversation, and then we came about from there. Just thought I'd be on the show, and I'm happy to be on. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to say, as far as Bray goes, I've been following – him on Twitter since he's been in Phoenix doing some Phoenix Rising things incidentally and uh, cool to finally meet him in person. I'm very excited to talk some soccer. Maybe a little less Tottenham today, a little more Fulham. I'm looking forward to that, getting some fresh perspective here. So before we start a show, I just want to give a quick condolences. Um, unfortunately, in the American soccer world, the passing of Daryl Grove, who passed away last night um, due to cancer, who's been fighting it for a while. He co-hosts the Total Soccer Show and, with Taylor Rockwell, um, Dale Grove, one of those voices, and a lot's been going out to him this week. In the American soccer circles, I just want to say, of course, I've never met the guy. I've never met uh, Taylor Daryl, but I've been listening for years, and very, very sad. It's a very sad day. Um, just one of those guys, always uplifting, helped me learn more about the sport. So before we, wanted to, before we started the show today, just wanted to offer my condolences to his wife and his family, and just just a sad day all around in, a, in the American soccer bubble. But as we kind of transition now to Europe, I know that's not, not the best segue, but Everton, 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 and a 2-2 draw in the Derby against Liverpool. I don't even know where to begin with this. It really starts early with um, Liverpool coming out of the gates firing and Sadio Mane kind of capitalizing. It, it looked like one of those things where Liverpool coming off of a 7-2 loss to Aston Villa were really firing out of the gates. And it was one of those things where it's like, it's going to be one of those days. And and just when they scored so quickly, I'm like, okay, here we go again. This is Everton versus Liverpool, a team that hasn't beaten Liverpool since 2010. It was quite the game, in my opinion, and I think as we kind of go into it, just recapping the goals, Everton kind of got back into this game a little later and then kept fighting until, I believe it was Michael Keane, I think, got a header. Yeah, it was Keane. It was Keane with the header, and then late in the second half, 1-1, kind of chippy. Everton looked like the better team in the second half, and Mohamed Salah scores a really good goal. Of course, Mohamed Salah doing Mohamed Salah's thing, so... 
at that point you think it's over. It's Everton. They they never have the reputation of weathering a storm against Liverpool. It could have done them in. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who just cannot keep scoring right now, he he went crazy, a headed goal in the 82nd or 83rd minute, I believe. And just when it looks like it's going to finish 2-2, it looked like Liverpool found the winner. Honestly, as an Everton fan, I expected that to happen because there's been precedent for it in the past, so never over till it's over. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that too, but first, um, I don't know how much you watched this or you saw the highlights or over soccer Twitter, Jordan Pickford. Early on, now I'm speaking with an Everton bias, right? And even I can't defend him there. I get the rules of the game. It's offside, so everything that happens after doesn't count quotation marks. I don't know. It, it's one of those things. I think that's a red. And unfortunately, Virgil van Dijk, who he made a challenge on, is out for the next seven or eight months, or was it weeks, I believe. It was an ACL tear. Yeah, it's an ACL tear, so he's going to be out for a while. Yeah, it's very, very unfortunate. Um, I can't defend Pickford on that. It's reckless. I get where they might see it's him making a challenge on the ball. I think he should have been red carded for that. Obviously, would have hurt Everton. Almost certainly would have lost without their. Actually, who knows? Pickford hasn't been that good recently. But I, I just can't defend that. And it, it, every game now, the other week, Tim Howard talked about it at halftime about those mistakes creeping in. And Carlo Ancelotti has faith in him, but how much of it can can he weather before it seems like it's a weekly occurrence when Pickford's kind of going off the rails here. So Pickford's been worrying me, and I, I kind of want to see some backups get time. They play Southampton this weekend. Originally, I thought it would be without Hamas Rodriguez alongside Seamus Coleman. Apparently this morning, Carlo Ancelotti came out and said that Rodriguez may play. He's been training. So that's good for Everton. Pickford just can't have a long leash right now, no matter how how you slice it. You look at Chelsea with Kepa. Um, I'm just going to call him Kepa. I don't want to pronounce that last name right now. But uh, that's Everton. The last thing, and we'll kind of swift uh, shift over the Fulham. As I mentioned, they play Southampton on the weekend. Uh, I believe it's a 9 a.m. Sunday game, Central. But as we shift over, I want, I'm curious what your thoughts on that VAR decision, right, late. And, and once again, I'm speaking through an Everton lens where it's really debatable. It's it's one of those situations where I, I thought that was a goal. I didn't think there was enough to overturn it. I don't think it was, as they phrased it, clear and obvious. And they said, I think it was Sadio Mane's armpit, I think, kept kept the goal, was a little offside. I think that's touch and go. I, I don't like it. I'm glad I'm glad Everton got the draw. Good, it's a good result for them. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? I've been talking for too long. Just kind of what are you thinking, and then we can shift in the Fulham. Yeah, in terms of the VAR decision, I, don't, I, I, I think there's nothing in it. I mean, I, I was kind of uh, on the same boat as the commentators there. I mean, if it's just like the armpit, of Mane and like that's not the body part that's going to cost you the goal in the first place that's just not so with that just being just literal millimeters for the reason that that goal is called back and of what was a uh, good team goal by Liverpool good finish by Henderson as well I just don't see that I don't like it to me it just, just seems silly to do it that way and uh, it was kind of a disappointing end to what was Really, like you said, a fantastic game. Lots of drama. Lots of, uh, I mean, what you expected from a derby game. I mean, especially 
now with like the defending champions Liverpool up against an upstart Everton squad as well. Like that's that's what you want to see. And but I still think despite all that, I mean, that's a performance that I think Everton can hold their heads up high on because I mean, they just kept with them. We're fighting um from being down early. Uh you had the situation with the uh like the Pickford incident at the beginning which I think should have been a red personally like I think that's just too reckless you can't like even if that was offside I mean you can't like you can't just barge in I mean as a goalkeeper you have to be more disciplined you have to get a better uh better grip on the play like you just can't go just diving really nearly in the knees because Things like that happen with Van Dyke, where he gets hurt, and then all of a sudden he's out for several months. I mean, it's not good for anybody. But like Everson has the entire season, I mean, that's that's a performance you can be proud of. I mean, they're I think they're going to be in the hunt uh, around like the top seven, top six for most of the year, and if they keep up like this, because Ancelotti's really, really making a difference there at that club. Yeah, I like that, and. I don't know. I don't know. We've talked about Everton a lot. Now, we don't often cover Fulham. Myself and Michael usually spend the first 20 minutes of a show talking Everton and Tottenham. We've talked to Everton a little bit, a little bit about what's going on. We're going to get some comprehensive Fulham football club coverage today from Briar. So first of all, how did you become a Fulham fan? I think I've said in the past how I became an Everton fan on this show. I'd like to know that and then the floor is yours talk anything you want about fulham give us our full season's content worth of fulham knowledge so yeah um i am a fulham fan i'm a proud fulham fan i mean i mentioned it in my twitter bio i wear the hat my hat my shirt all the time i mean um i'm proud i mean that's a club i've chosen to support for better or for worse um but yeah i'm a fulham fan it kind of correlated with uh, my fa- beginning of my fandom into soccer because this was around 2010s when I was starting to watch like soccer pretty uh, frequently. It kind of co- coincided with the 2010 World Cup uh, with uh, Landon Donovan's winner against Algeria. I mean, that was kind of the moment I became a soccer fan. And then from there, after the uh, like the national team triumphs, I'm just like, okay, I like watching American players do well abroad i like watching that i mean but at that time 10 years ago mls wasn't what it is now i wasn't and also didn't have like the tv coverage as well and i was just like uh i don't like i don't i I didn't have the interest of it that i did now so i turned to a freak like a frequency to play american players and at that time that was full of and then they especially had one player in particular that you've probably heard of him clint dempsey (laughs) <laughs> I see him putting the thumbs down, but he was my, uh, in terms of like club football, I mean, he was my hero in, uh, for a couple of years and got me into it. I mean, my one of my favorite goals of all time was when uh, Fulham in 2010, like had an incredible run, made it to the Europa League final, and they were playing Juventus, I believe in the quarterfinal, where three goals down, came back, and Clint Dempsey scored the winner by chipping Buffon, from about 25 yards out to win it. And I saw that and I just fell in love. And then from there, from then on, um, like, cause of course Dempsey, he got traded, he got uh, transferred to Tottenham. Uh, Fulham had some down years, were relegated from the Prem in 2014, uh, played in the championship for several years, uh, got 
promoted from the promoted from the championship via the playoffs in 2018. He's got sent straight back down. Then he did it again this past season, and now now we're in the prem. And uh, now so it's been a topsy turvy three years uh, to say the least. But right now, right now in terms of Premier League survival, things look bleak. I mean, unfortunately, I mean. Like I can't really sugarcoat it. I mean, Fulham's bottom of the table. I mean, they're they had a one-one draw against Sheffield uh, last week, where they really should have won. Um, but and like that's the type of games I think, especially in these relegation six-pointers. Like if you want to stay up, you've got to get get three points from that game. And uh, like in in that game, Mitrovic, Alexander Mitrovic, uh, number nine, the man I'm wearing the kid of right now. Um, missed a penalty, um, and then later in the game, committed a foul in the box that led to Sheffield's penalty, penalty so that scored, and then he missed a header from about three yards out and in stoppage time that would have won it as well. So, and I think that like he he is he's the number nine. He's the guy that like impressed pretty heavily uh, in the, the first time in the prem uh, a couple years ago, and we need his goals and his production survive. I'm confident that it was just a bad game, and that I'm hoping that he's going to return stronger because he has two goals in five games so far. Like, he's not he's not doing that bad. I mean, that'd be on pace for 14, 15 goals, but, like, it just... You want to convert the chances when you got them. Um, so, and also, uh, the strategy, I think, this year in terms of the squad. I mean, in 2018... One of Fulham's biggest downfalls is that they spent a lot, but they just spent too much and brought in too many uh, just new additions that um, that kind of hampered the team chemistry and like didn't help them stay up. Like Jean Seri was uh, a thirty million pound move from Nice, and he was a total flop. Like it was situations like that that was just like it kind of led the downfall. Now um, I think the owner Shag Khan has kind of. Uh, He's kind of understood some of his lessons there, but there's still like big, big holes that need to be fixed, especially defensively. I mean, this is, and I say this like <laughs> just as a Fulham fan, this is by far the worst back line in the Prem, by far. Like Fulham is, like Fulham needs very, very big help, like in the back, and just like the center, the the back four that came up with the championship, uh, which was Joe Bryan at left back. Uh, center backs M- Michael Hector and Tim Ream, right back Cyrus Christie just won't cut it. So obviously they've made a lot of moves uh, concerning the defense since then. Uh, we got Kenny Tete and Jokin Anderson on loan from uh, Lyon. Uh, Tete has been doing pretty solid stuff at right back. Uh, Anderson hasn't played yet, so I don't know. I don't know about him so far. Um, picked up. Uh, Anthony Robinson, another American from uh, uh, Wigan, uh, put him at left back, put in a decent performance against Sheffield. But one that's really impressed me so far is Tosin Adara Bio, who uh, we picked him up from from Man City for about two million uh, pounds, and he put in a pretty pretty decent performance against Sheffield. I don't think that I think it was an improvement over what Michael Hector has done so far, and then he's. Uh, so I think, I think it's a smart idea to really put him in terms of the rotation until we can get some sort of center back consistency figured out. But, uh, as for right now, I think like the manager, Scott Parker, he's in the hot seat. I mean, he's, he probably has the hottest seat of any Premier League manager right now, obviously. 
And so um, if things like things looked better against Sheffield, but I think shape was improved. I think uh, overall urgency was a bit improved. Um, another uh, lone signing you forgot to mention, Adam Lookman, uh, former Evertonian, um, who Kyle I'm sure knows well. Uh, he's put in t- two very strong performances, uh, including the goal which against uh, Sheffield, where uh, he had kind of a lucky bounce to go to him in the box, but he had an incredible finish to beat uh, Aaron Ramsdale and get us our goal. So, and he's done really well. I think he's 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 a guy who I think uh, he's really the only guy on the Fulham squad outside of Mitrovic who isn't afraid to like run at the defense and like feels confident enough to do something with it. And like that just showed right there. I think like he and Mitro might be a pretty solid partnership. Um, but yes, as for like the managerial situation with Scott Parker, I I, I fear he's not going to match much longer because um, he plays a very patient style. It's uh, but I don't think we have the Premier League quality like in that to uh, continue that. It may have worked in the Championship with lesser quality, but it's not working in the Prem. Uh, it just a sense of urgency has to be established. So uh, with the We'll just assume that sometime in the next couple months, if results don't improve, that Scott Parker is sacked. And so I've listed three possible candidates here, what I think is going to be realistic, unrealistic, and kind of a wild card. I think a realistic would be something like an Eddie Howe. Like, and when you think about, when you think about it, I mean, Eddie Howe, just uh, over the past like decade or so, the, fa- the fact of the matter that he kept Bournemouth up for four years is an incredible achievement and had the success of which he did. Um, I think personally that uh, Bournemouth letting him go was kind of harsh, even though that, yeah, Bournemouth was struggling in the in the relegation zone for a lot, but just think of the size that they are. I mean, you just, I mean, it, it, you have to wonder, could any manager do the same? And so, like, now he's a free agent right now. I'm surprised no one has really picked him up, even in the championship. So why not? Like, uh, I feel like that'd be the... I feel like it'd be like the name, like it'd be a name that like uh, the supporters could trust, and the note that because that name is kind of synonymous with like keeping teams up. I mean, and uh, and like if he could keep Bournemouth up for four years with the resources he has available there, keep imagine what he does. One. If what's that? I was gonna say keep Fulham up for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if 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 he can do that, but then like if he can keep Fulham up, um, like if he can keep Bournemouth up. For that long, imagine what he can do with Fulham when he has much more resources available. Because, like, uh, since the matter of just like, I mean, Chat Con, the owner will spend. I mean, he'll give him what he wants. I think. Um, I had another unrealistic one, which was Steven Gerrard at Rangers. I think. <laughs> I well, I think, I think he's done. I don't think Gerrard would leave at this moment because he's in the middle of a title fight with Celtic, uh, and he wants. Rangers hasn't won a. Uh, league title in nine years at Scotland and like that fan base wants it bad and plus like he's also obviously as his time as a player he's very loyal I don't think he would but I'm just thinking just like why wouldn't you I mean ultimately you can assume his goal is to manage Liverpool one day I mean this is your outlet into the Prem I mean if you can cut it here and then like whenever the day comes that like Klopp leaves or whatever happens I mean if you can Cut it here, uh, pull up some solid performances for Fulham. There, you're going to be first in line. I'm like, I don't know if like staying at Rangers is going to do it. I mean, but at the same time, like I said, I mean, I don't, I couldn't foresee Jared leaving. And then a wild card, uh, Vejko Panovic from uh, 
from Reading, and which is kind of a name that it may resonate with some diehard MLS fans because he he coached uh, five years at Chicago Fire, and now he's currently at Reading, and Reading are killing it at the top of the championship. I mean, granted, and having been in the championship for about four straight years and then another year, championship form doesn't really mean anything until you're promoted. And so Reading could very well finish in the bottom half of the table, and then this I could look like an idiot eight, eight months down the line. I don't know. However, there's two things here that I think could help Ponovich. Actually, three things. Reading plays an exciting style right now. Reading, um, I believe they could be like up toward the top in uh, championship scoring. I don't know the exact number, but they're playing very exciting football right now. Uh, he has... He, has a Serbian background, obviously would help Mitrovic, I think, and they both played at Partizan in uh, in Serbia. So there's that chemistry there. And also, fact is, he has deep connections to America as well um, through his through his experience with fire. And that's another thing I think that's uh, obviously Fulham makes a killing on uh, really getting American prospects and like building their influence in America. So like, why not? That could be just just something down the line to evaluate. I mean, I don't know if he'd be any good, but just it's a matter of just like some sometimes you got to give <laughs> you see how throw things at the wall and see if it sticks. I mean, he's only 43. Could give the young guy a chance, but we'll see. It'll be a very interesting few months at the club, that's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, kind of going with um Fulham and I really like the Steven Gerrard shout. Um just imagine him and Lampard and West London about five to ten minutes apart, both those two stadiums are right together um, in London. And as far as Fulham goes, I had a soft spot for them when they came in the um, Premier League. I really liked Ryan Sessegnon, who I know is at Tottenham now. I really liked Mitrovic. Actually, I played with them in Football Manager for a little while. They were a very fun team. I think there's a lot of ties between them and Norwich and how they came up and how they wanted to play a very attractive, free-flowing style of soccer and Ultimately, that didn't happen, unfortunately. I'm really hoping, I mean, there's still plenty of season left that they can dig and find themselves a way out, stay stay in the Premier League another season or two. Craven Cottage is just such one of the more quaint, one of the more cool venues in the entire Premier League. So I, I really hope the best for Fulham, and we'll see how that goes. And then in spirit of uh, Michael here, I'm sure he probably actually didn't want me to talk about this this week, but... Tottenham 3 and West Ham 3, one of the most entertaining games of the weekend here. Tottenham go up 3-0 in 16 minutes. Harry Kane, a brace. Youngman's son gets the scoring going as he cuts in from the left to his right. Those two players are some of the best in the Premier League, and they show it week in, week out. Harry Kane, both goals, I believe, were from near outside the box. Youngman's son, he's one of the players of the season so far. I really like what Tottenham are doing. And then you have West Ham slowly but surely in the second half coming back. You have uh, uh, an own goal, um, Davinson Sanchez, an own goal for 2-3, two, two, I believe near the 80th minute. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you watched this since I saw you last, Manuel Lanzini, ball pops out to him like the last kick of the game in like the 93rd. And all of a sudden, he's running, and he just fires this ball to the top of the net. It's, it's like one of those things you see maybe once – or twice a season. It reminded me of the Vincent Company goal for City last year. And it was just unbelievable. And Michael does not like that goal very much, but I thought as a soccer fan, it was amazing. So 
So I had to tease him a little about that. Everton almost met the same fate. Arguably should have met the same fate except dropping two points. But, again, those are two huge points dropped for Tottenham. They were on top of the world in the 16th, and they looked dangerous. They brought Gareth Bale in for his first minutes in the Premier League in a while. I really like what I'm seeing on a Tottenham more this year. It's second year Jose Mourinho. We know what happens in second year Jose Mourinho soccer. So that's about all we're going to talk about Tottenham today. I do want to point out that according to InfoGoal, neither team had an expected goals above 1.75 to be more accurate. And they both scored three goals. So finding goals where they shouldn't, um, a theme for both teams. Um, some other news around the Premier League to kind of get us moving along. We have some other cool things we want to talk about. Manchester City beat Arsenal 1-0. Aston Villa beat Leicester and still sit a point below Everton in second. Uh, we like to call them the Kazoo Brothers, both with Kazoo on the front of their jerseys. They're top two on the table. Kazoo obviously knew what they wanted to do to get some good recognition in the Premier League. Um, United and Chelsea is a game coming up this next weekend, in the next few days. I'm very excited about this. United are coming off of um, a 4-1 bounce-back win versus Newcastle after that atrocious outing at Old Trafford, the Theatre of Dreams, against um, Tottenham 6 6-1, I believe, was the score. Um, somewhere in there. And then they beat PSG midweek. Chelsea coming off of a 3-3 draw to Southampton. So it'll be intriguing. Um, as far as the other games go, do you have anything else before we kind of get to our underrated games of the week? Uh, no, not, not really at the moment. I think you hit up on most of the uh, important talking points from the weekend. So... Uh... Yeah, let's head up to our underrated games of the week. I mean, I'll go ahead and start here. Uh, so mine is uh, West Brom and Brighton, which I love. And this might be my uh, sick interest as a supporter of a uh, relegation uh, hampered team. But I love a good relegation six-pointer. I know it's early, but these are two teams that have been tipped for uh, – and then tip for relegation by uh, beginning of the year and everything else. But I think Brighton and West Brom is going to be something oddly entertaining. Um, so for Brighton, Brighton scored in every game this this season thus far in the Prem. Um, it's it's kind of this is a squad that I think that I wish where Fulham was. The fact they they still can't really defend, um, like their back line's aging a little bit, but. Uh, but they they have just such a quality uh, uh, the quality force in attack. Um, Neil Malpe is a uh, he's a stud. I think he's one of the most uh, underrated strikers in the division. Um, fantasy starlet. Um, I start him, so he's just uh, I'm very happy with the production he's done so far. But I mean, this is like this isn't a bad squad. This is this kind of reminds me. Um, of just the, it's it's a little bit. I don't know if it's as fair of a comparison, but like the Blackpool squads of like a decade ago, they just go all out and like they just it's um like it, you have these wild score lines of like five two three one every week. It's just it's just entertaining. I mean, they may lose, but like they'll go very hard while they're at it. Whereas West Brom, I like Slavin Bilic sides. Um, I've always rated him as a manager, even when he was at West Ham. Um, the main issue I think with West Brom is. They don't like they can they can branch out in spurts. I mean, like just a few weeks ago, they were up three nil on Chelsea before they blew it, then got to a three three draw. I mean, there is production, um, but 
And that's only but when they're cohesive because right now they don't really have a consistent goal threat. I mean, you look at their squad and these are just kind of like journeymen and uh, really like not as like maybe some old vets like the Kieran Gibbs and the Bronislav Ivanoviches. Like they're not like these are names that they're a little bit past their prime. Uh, but in in terms of but in terms of just like new fresh talent and getting goals on the board, I mean that's a part where they kind of struggle a bit. Uh, Callum Robinson, I know, has two goals. He's he's not bad, but it needs to be more consistent because they they've been shut out in a couple games thus far. But I think this could be entertaining. Um, I'm gonna go uh, Brighton three, West Brom one. Um, I think Malpe gets two, and the other one is a header from Lewis Dunk. And then I'll say for West, I'll say for West Brom, graded Diangana gets the goal. Uh, so yeah, that is my underrated game of the week. That's some very comprehensive coverage there. I really liked it. Is that game at the Hawthorns? Uh, I believe so, yes. Okay, so that game's going to be at West Brom. I really like that pick. It's very sneaky. That's the point of the segment. Uh, I saw West Brom, too. Before they played at Chelsea, they were up at Everton a few times. And, and they're a team that will go out and attack, honestly, more so than you'd expect from a team like West Brom, which is historically a more physical team. Um, and Brighton's just... Always flying under the radar. Like you said, I think that was a great decision. My game will be more of a chaotic game, I'm assuming. Um, Wolves-Newcastle. I like Wolves. I, I predicted uh, I projected them to be in that race alongside Everton, Tottenham, um, Arsenal for top six in, in that range, Leicester. And they've been okay. They've underwhelmed a little bit. I believe they sit at six in the table, so not too much. They're coming off of a pair of one-no wins over Fulham and Leeds. Uh, but they did lose 4-0 to West Ham. I don't know what happened there. I think it's a thing of consistency. He has so much talent. And you got, you look at the strikers and uh, Raul Jimenez and uh, Diego Jota. I think he's still there. He might have been. No, Jota's at Liverpool. Jota's at Liverpool now, yeah, but he was there last year. Um, solid team there. Um, who else? Anama Traore, who, uh, um, according to rumors, uh, both Barcelona and Juventus are in for. They're a team with so much talent. That you just, I want to see them put it together a little more, be more consistent. Um, I, I think Newcastle is, of course, more of a interesting team in that style. They uh, drew Tottenham and beat Burnley, um, but it's a team under Mike Ashley um, as owner, consistently in turmoil. So I want to see this is a winnable game. It's a game they shouldn't win, but I think this one stays competitive. I want to say this game could get crazy. They went up on Manchester United a week ago before losing 4-1. Um, Wolves have a historically better defense. I think Wolves will win this game. I think it's a 2-1 game, maybe a 3-1 game, depending on how out of hand it gets. If um, Newcastle finds a goal, I don't think they score first. But it could also get very ugly because Wolves are also a team that would like to pack it in. So that goes. Uh, that will be my underrated game of the week. And we're going to transition from England as we have about 15, 20 minutes left. We're going to go really quickly. Some Champions League action, of course. Liverpool beating Ajax 1-0 thanks to an own goal from Nicolas Tagliofico. And I have a question coming back to you at, at the end of um, when I'm going through this. Shakhtar upset Real Madrid 3-2. And, and that's a shocker result. I mean, it's not like Real Madrid don't have talent. This is a team under Zinedine Zidane that doesn't care really about you look at La Liga, I mean, they care about it, but this is a team that's won Champions League more than they've won their own 
La Liga. And and so I'm just kind of wondering what's changed there. Bayern still look like the best team in um, the world. 4-0 win over Atletico Madrid. Diego Simeone's side's not the worst in the world. Uh, I think, like, this isn't a pushover. It's not like they were playing Porto like City did, um, who won 3-1. So I, th- I think Bayern's just going to be Bayern. Kingsley come on brace. Inter, Romelu Lukaku gets a 90th minute um, brace as they draw 2-2 two two against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, some good games in the Champions League last week. Some good ones coming up. And really, I think, just because we have to get through some of this stuff, I'm curious about your thoughts on Liverpool's back line. I know you talked about Fulham having a terrible one, and you're, you'd do anything for Liverpool's back line, even without Virgil van Dijk who unfortunately, like we mentioned earlier in the show, is out for a few months with an ACL tear. What do you think of their back line? How do you think this run's going to go without him? And in Europe, with so much fixture congestion, of course, getting the win this time, but this is due to an own goal. We saw great Liverpool in the first 15, 20 minutes against Everton, the team that won the Premier League and Champions League uh, a few seasons ago in Premier League last year. Um what Liverpool team do you think shows up throughout the remainder of the competition? And then just what are some of your thoughts on that Real Madrid situation, which is, of course, so so weird right now? Well, I think just uh, regardless of uh, Liverpool's backline struggles throughout the year, I mean, Virgil van Dijk is a presence. I mean, he's just a mass of a man that jumps like like he's got moon boots on. Like he, the, the, guy is, the guy is one of the best uh, center backs in world football for a reason. And so when you lose a presence like that, it's just difficult to uh, rekindle that. And so Joe Gomez has got a pretty, uh, assuming he starts in place of him, mean, he subbed down in the Merseyside Derby. Like, he's going to have a, a tough hand on his hand, on his end. And uh, But really, it's just like, I don't think that Liverpool's, like, backline struggles have been limited to just the center backs. I don't think Trent Alexander-Arnold has had a very good season either. I mean, he was beat often, like, in the Merseyside Derby by James, by uh, and, other, and a lot of Everton players. It always just seemed like you're just getting outrun and outpaced. Um, Robertson, I think, has done okay, but I don't think he's playing as well as he did last season either. Like, Liverpool's got some glaring issues. I mean, we are, I mean I'm sure you guys talked about the 7-2 demolition Aston Villa did uh, a couple weeks ago, and, like, so... That's worrisome. That's that's worrisome, especially when your best defender goes down. And so, yeah, I think Liverpool's going to be in for a couple tough months ahead. As for Real Madrid, that performance was embarrassing because especially considering I believe Shakhtar had almost double-digit COVID cases <laughs> and, like, they were playing essentially a lot of U-team players. They didn't have Tyson. They didn't have um, Alan Patrick, several of, like, their bigger names that have been possibly been – thinking about being poached by bigger clubs. This was not a Champions League quality squad. And to go down 3-0 against that when you're supposedly the class of the world in Real Madrid, that's terrible. That's inexcusable. Like you've got to you've got to show up uh more grander on uh on the European stage even if this is even if it is a group stage game. So yeah, uh Real Madrid also has things to figure out as well I mean it's just a that was just a shambles of a match I mean even even after they got it back to uh 3-2 I mean it, they sh- you shouldn't be down in that spot in the first place I don't think 
yeah, some interesting games in the Champions League and Real. I want to see them figure it out. You can't be doing that to Shaq against Shakhtar Don Don. Well, I don't even know. I keep wanting to say Doncic, but it's obviously not. Um, so yeah, and, and obviously kind of going through with our time. Just wanted to skim through the Bundesliga. Um, Bayern take care of business against the promoted side. Armenia Bielefeld probably botched uh, botch that last pronunciation, but good result. It's exactly what you'd expect out of Bayern. Both um, Robert Lewandowski and Thomas Müller had a brace in this game. Lewandowski now has seven goals in four Bundesliga games, and with his goal over the weekend, has scored against every single team currently in the Bundesliga. And then going around Wolfsburg and um, Borussia Mönchengladbach drew 1-1. Schalke still hasn't won a game since the last January, I believe. They drew Union Berlin 1-1. And then looking at the week ahead in the Bundesliga, the Riviera Derby between Schalke and Dortmund. Dortmund's going to win that game, but it's always a fun and entertaining game between the two sides. That's going to be 11.30 a.m. Central tomorrow. And the Werder, Bremen, Hoffenheim could be an interesting game, I think. Josh Sargent, the American striker there. Um, and then Hoffenheim... Uh, Kramerich, one of the hottest strikers in Europe, alongside Lewandowski and uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, of course, Harry Kane. Um, I like. I think that game could be intriguing. Hoffenheim, I want to see them continue to show that they belong in the top three, top four of the table. But at the very top of the table, RB Leipzig, and they're so dominant still. Even even losing uh, a player of the quality of Timo Werner and. They they seem to lose pieces every every year, and they still tend to tick, stick around at the top of the table, near the top of the table. I think the next step is beating that Bayern or beating Dortmund with consistency. I, I think they can beat Dortmund. I think on their day they can beat Bayern. Um, what do you think of the Bundesliga? I know you don't watch it as closely as American soccer or the Premier League. Do you have any thoughts on RB Leipzig or anything going on there? And then uh, we'll kind of shift to our final section of the show today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a fun league for a reason. I mean, it's one of the highest scoring leagues in the world. I mean, like, especially if, like, I think you're a budding soccer fan, it's a good it's a good league to, like, get into. Um, a lot of Americans as well. I mean, shout out to uh, John Brooks, Josh Sargent, and the crew just uh, holding it down in, in the Bundesliga with Gio teams there. Yeah, Gio Reyna, of course. How could I forget? But, um, yeah, I think that um, it's certainly a fun league, but... At the same time, I mean, Fulham's where my heart is, and like that's that's the game I'm gonna get up to watch on a, on a Saturday morning. It's hard for me to divide my time between the two, but yeah, I mean, I'm always, I always uh, turn on like a Der Klassiker or something like that where you have a matchup of the two, uh, some of the bigger teams. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's uh, overall fun league, definitely. Um, uh, but. I could go on and talk about the uh, Phoenix Rising uh, coverage if you would like, and so. Yeah, uh, well, let's one second. I just want to set the stage here before Briar starts going. I believe, correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but you spent the summer down in Phoenix and got to cover cover Phoenix Rising, one of the most exciting USL teams. I know there's some stuff going on there right now. I know they just relinquished the right to host the USL Championship game for very valid reasons. But I'm kind of curious to hear first off about how the summer went covering that team, what what that coverage is like. You follow the USL closer than I do. I started with T2 and kind of it's hard now, and, and T2 is not going to be a thing next year, unfortunately. But but Phoenix Rising, always some good fans. I know not there over the uh, over the summer, but but always a fun team. So just 
yeah, how did you kind of get that gig and what was that like? And you can go from there. So, yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate uh, over the this past summer to intern for the Arizona Republic, which is the premier newspaper in Phoenix. Um, they cover um, – they don't have, like, a normal soccer rider. Uh, I mean, because Rising plays in the USL Championship, which is the league below MLS. So uh, they just talked to me and, they were, and were like, do you want to uh, – go ahead and help us out on this, especially as the league was getting back going uh, in early July. And I was just like, absolutely, I would love to. And so I was a beat reporter there for probably about a month, like from about uh, early July until the end of my internship in mid-August. I mean, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I was very fortunate to be one of the few that, were, uh, that was able to cover like live sports this past summer. I mean, it was strange, but... Um, it was, but it was a really, really cool experience. Um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, fun story. Um, probably the most fun game I went to was the last game I went to. It was uh, their derby game between uh, New Mexico United, and uh, at that point, Phoenix wasn't allowing fans in the stadiums due to COVID concerns. Um, however, that didn't stop this group of fan supporters called Los Bandidos. Probably about fifteen of them uh, masked up, socially distanced, all of that. So. Where the stadium is, is kind of in the middle of, like, a des deserted area, and uh, there's a fence around it and, like, a road around it. Like, 15 banditos just pull up in trucks, and, like, they go to, like, the corner, um, and they're, like, they're not technically in the stadium. They're just, like, outside the fence, and, like, a couple of them are just sitting on porta-potties, like, launching flares, smoke bombs, chanting, and, like, hitting drums, and it was... And, like, I was watching it from afar and, like, seeing this. And, like, I love this sport so much. And, like, I went over there. I talked with them. Got a really cool feature story out of it. And it was awesome. Like, that was that was, that was was the coolest moment, I think, of, uh, um, I think of uh, my time there. I, I, really, I really enjoyed it. And, obviously, saw some really good soccer there, too, as Phoenix is one of the best sides in the division as well. So, I mean, it was overall, overall fun time. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, and so we, I have a couple of questions I want to end with. But first, kind of let's go to American soccer. We have about seven minutes left. And I just want to throw in the Timbers. Way to go. They blew two one-goal leads in the 90 plus two or three minutes, uh, dropping four points in the process. Still near the top of the West. I think they finally dropped below Seattle, probably below Sporting Kansas City right now too. They're in that range. You can't be dropping results like that. Sporting Kansas City did the same thing, dropping a result in Chicago last weekend. Um, Jordi Mihailovic scored in the 92nd or 93rd. And, and I mean, it's you can't do that as this race heats up. They'll, they're all going to be comfortably in the playoffs, but I'm kind of curious to see what will happen when these teams are playing teams not in the their immediate bubble as far as Portland playing Seattle, Portland playing San Jose, Los Angeles, Sporting playing FC Dallas for the 15th time, or Minnesota United. I'm interested to see what happens there. And, and and elsewhere in MLS, I believe Colorado's finally starting to play again. They have some games in hand over a lot of teams. As we approach decision day, um, not much happening in MLS other than that that lead-up. So lots of teams playing in a condensed schedule. Some entertaining games for sure. It's Major League Soccer after all. And then um, that's kind of all I wanted to touch on there. And, and I'm curious, what have you seen out of Major League Soccer? And then... What have you seen? USL, I believe, is also coming into the stretch run. 
I believe, aren't they almost in their championship game, or is that next? Yeah, they are. They're both the conference championship games of this weekend. So both cha- conference championship games are this weekend, so if you wanted to talk about that, give some predictions, talk about Major League Soccer, and then uh, before I get out of here, I have a few questions. Yeah, so uh, Major League Soccer, I mean, I follow the league pretty uh, strenuously as well. Um, like, it's just been certainly a weird season with uh, COVID, and of course, um, I've been really impressed uh so far with uh, both of the expansion clubs. I mean, Nashville could very well host a playoff game, which is incredible in their first year. And then, obviously, Inter-Miami with the star power uh, with Gonzalo Higuain, uh, Blaise Matuidi, uh, and then some good pieces in advance of all that. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, like, it's, it's certainly going to be entertaining coming down to the decision day uh, where everybody ends up. Uh, as for USL, um, like you mentioned, uh, conference title games are this weekend. Louisville City plays Tampa Bay Rowdies in the Eastern Conference, while the team I covered, Phoenix Rising, plays El Paso Locomotive in the Western Conference Final. Uh, I watched, actually, Rising and Locomotive play in early August in the regular season meeting. Rising won 3-1. Junior Flemings, Solomon Asante, and Rufat Dadashov, which is their front three, best front line in the USL by far, in my opinion. All of them scored. Um, this is going to be a clash of styles, I think. Um, Phoenix and their go-go-go style. They also return coach Rick Shantz, who was originally on administrative leave due to uh, the unfortunate situation that happened at San Diego Loyal of Flemings uttering a homophobic slur toward an openly gay player. And he was put on administrative leave in the follow-up of that, in the fallout of that, and has recently been put back on the touchline. Uh, so they get him back as well, not Flemings, but they get... Uh, Chance back. Um, so, and then Locomotive plays a very, like, possession-based, like, very defensively-oriented style. Um, I'll go 2-1 uh, rising. And then as for the Eastern Conference, uh, Louisville has been here before. I mean, Louisville is probably overall, um, over their, the course of their existence in the USL, been the strongest club. I mean, winning a couple titles. I mean, they've been in this spot before. They have the incredible new uh, stadium as well in, in Louisville, Soccer Pacific, um, Lynn Family Stadium, which is incredible to see from the second division of American soccer. And so I'll also, I'll say 3-0 uh, Louisville wins, and then we'll see from there what happens in terms of the USL Championship final next week. Yeah, and... Um, let's see where I was going there. I wanted to um, just shout out yeah, what, what Louisville's doing, and that stadium is just incredible. You said you're going there next week? No, I'm not going there next week. It's just I was saying the USL Championship Final will be next week. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of shifting between it. And before we get out of here, um, we touched on a lot, and I'm kind of curious, do you have a list of soccer stadiums you want to visit, some venues? Is there games you want to see or what's your soccer bucket list what stadiums do you want to see what games do you want to be be at in the future i find this a fun kind of question as we wind down well obviously being a fulham fan who has never made it out of the u.s uh, thus far in his life craving cottage i mean that's probably number one um being a game on the river thames i mean i think would be absolutely incredible in terms of like a game i want to watch uh, one thing comes to mind for me that's Celtic Rangers, the old firm. I just want to like that rivalry has always just completely interest, interested me in the fact of just the sectarian hate and just like passion and history about it. And then 
<laughs> like and and to see it in the context of the past few years of like Rangers just fall and rise and then Celtics the dominance. Um, I would love to see a game there either at um, Ibrox or Celtic Park or Hampton, um, either one. And so, and then obviously there's some other ones, but we're kind of pressed for time as well. So, but like yeah, those two in particular, I think I would love to see. I really like the old firm show. That's crazy. I wish I could watch more there. I know you got to go. We're going to wrap this show up. Um, before I take us out, where can people find you online and where can they read your work? So you can find me online. You can uh, uh, search my Twitter account at Briar Napier. And uh, just the same as my first and last name. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost always writing. Um, if it's not for the Missourian, it could be for at the Daily Tribune. I do some uh, freelance coverage there as well. I mean, so yeah, um, I appreciate it if you give me a follow. I mean, hopefully I can keep you uh, intrigued with my tweets. Yep, Columbia, Missourian MVP, 16 points a weekend ago, going off from behind the arc and in the paint against the Maneater squad. Unfortunately, I left him open one too many times, but I, I don't want to go into that right now. Um, it's been another episode of Soccer from the Zoo. You can follow us at soccer at the zoo, and that's going to be Z-O-U. You can follow me. Changed my at now because I had to for other reasons. It's going to be Kyle underscore Pinnell underscore. You can find me pretty easily by searching Kyle Pinnell. Michael Howie's going to be Michael Howie 3. And before we get out of here, one more time, condolences. Daryl Grove, one of my favorite American soccer podcasters. A sad day in American soccer and um, uh, just condolences to him his family and um yeah so watch some soccer this weekend uh daryl's favorite team was wolves so let's hope they kind of get a win this weekend for him and have a good one everyone